1: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/host. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and starship sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Farfetched Fables. Welcome to show number 166. I'm Mark Zanfordino, the audio engineer for Fetched Fables, and your host for this week. Nicola is taking a much-needed break, so Seth and I will be hosting for the remaining few weeks. This week, we bring you Phoenix for the Amateur Chef from Scott Huggins. Scott grew up in the American Midwest and has lived there all his life, except for interludes into European Midwest, Germany, and East, Russia. He is currently responsible for securing America's future by teaching its past to high school students, many of whom learn things before going to college. His preferred method of teaching and examination is strategic warfare. He loves to read high fantasy, space opera, and parodies of the same. He wants to be a hybrid of G.K. Chesterton and Terry Pratchett when he counteracts the effects of having grown up. When he is not teaching or writing, he devotes himself to his wife, their three children, and his cat. Narrating Scott's story today is Andrea Richardson. Andrea is a British singer and actress with extensive stage and film performances to her name. She began narration and voiceover work in 2014, but enjoys using her existing skills in a different way. You can find Andrea at andrea-richardson.co.uk and on Facebook. And now for our main course this evening. Phoenix for the Amateur Chef, by Scott Huggins.
2: The Phoenix Fell Its sobbing death cry, silenced by a coat of ravening flame, it corkscrewed to earth, bleeding dirty white fire across the dusk. What struck the cliff face above our heads was a ball of charred meat. We ducked the searing gobbets of flesh, Only a little pile of ash and bone was left, rapidly whitening like charcoal. I looked at Tywin, who stood sucking his teeth and polishing his great stone bow. He dropped the remaining stones to the earth, unanointed by Trelester's unguent. "'Well, shit!' I said finally. The memory snapped me out of my fatigue-induced daze. I was still in the imperial kitchen. For the hundredth time I looked at the cage that held my plucked phoenix— safe in its enchanted sleep, lest it should suddenly have combusted into a pile of inedible ashes. Shaking, I laid out the four eggs I had prepared last night, and Tywin fetched a small pot of marinade in its ice-water bath. I had calculated the ingredients over and over since noon, and Tywin had pronounced it good, but I wasn't worried about the entree. That I had tested. For the plucked phoenix that would be my main course, there could be no test, except the one that I had to pass or die. I groaned. The dishes were already more prepared than I was. The only reason I was still alive was that His Imperial Majesty didn't kill people at family dinners. They were his favorite custom. Every month, the master chef arrayed the great hall for an immense supper, and the entire staff of the palace ate whatever the emperor was having. It was a meal dreaded by all. His Imperial Majesty prided himself on his refined and delicate palate, while loathing common tastes. He wished to delight his palace family, and when His Majesty wanted people delighted, they were damn well delighted. So I had sat with my fellow sorcerers, trying to look delighted. I grew up in a seaport. A fellowship in the College of the Wise had meant a chance to get away from the things that poor people could do to seafood. But even the poorest of us knew that jellyfish were for tossing back, not for serving with fine vinegars in thin cartilaginous slices. They now writhed in my stomach. I'd managed to down the steamed scarabs by squinting and pretending they were bad lobster. The bird's nest soup was what did it. And I might have even made it through that if I hadn't happened to say idly, there aren't as many twigs or grasses as I would have expected from bird's nest soup. Chief Diviner Ghislaine looked over with a little smile. He was the only one at the table who actually enjoyed the family dinners. "'My dear Henael, these birds' nests are from the cave swallows of the eastern sea cliffs.' "'And they don't have many plants there?' "'No. The male cave swallow constructs his nest of regurgitated fishbone, thus the subtle undercurrent of sea salt augmented by the kelp.' "'Bird vomit?' I was eating bird vomit. Well, when do we get to the urine course? I asked, desperate to distract myself. The Archmage Trilester shot me a quelling glare. I looked up, and there stood Master Chef Angry, immaculate in jacket and toque. The platter she held was laid with pale yellow, white-flex spheres. The cheese course! A bite of cheese would be just the thing to soothe my injured stomach. Kasumazu from the islands of Sardica, she intoned, eyes ablaze. "'Oh, yes, the Emperor's favourite had heard me.' I looked down. When she reached me, I snatched at the very soft cheese and popped a bite into my mouth. The flavour wasn't just sharp. It was stinking. And then I felt the wriggling. My eyes popped open. The platter still hovered before me. The white flecks on the pale yellow balls— moved the tiny maggots crawled across the cheese and even as i stared one jumped off the dish and landed on the bridge of my nose my stomach rose faster than i could and all five courses of my dinner splashed over the table the cheese and master chef anguis spotless front the vomiting seemed to go on for hours at last the only sounds in the great hall or my own agonized coughing and spluttering, and the laughter from the lower tables. Angui dropped the tray and stood looking in disbelief and rage at her clothes, dripping with the contents of my stomach. But beyond her at the high table, white fury on his face, his majesty stood. My lord, Master Chef Angui said, icy tones ringing clear in the dead stillness. "'It seems that sorcerer's apprentice Hanel "'wishes to critique your choice of menu.' "'The Emperor raised his hand. "'Before I could think, two guards were at my shoulders, "'taking me, not away to the dungeons, "'but ever closer to his Imperial Majesty himself. "'I collapsed before him. "'Your Majesty,' Angry said, "'for the crime of lese majeste "'in showing contempt of your great gift, "'only death can answer.' His Majesty opened his mouth. Then Archmage Trelesta said from behind me, Your Majesty, my apprentice's insult was not to you, as the Imperial chef pretends, but to her. It is no injury to Your Majesty if her cooking sickens some. I stared back at her. What was she doing? I heard angry splutter and then say, Are you giving me the lie, Archmage? Of course not, Trelesta said smoothly. Apprentice and aren't you? I felt her nudge me sharply. Grasping at the hint, I managed to gasp, Yes, yes. Didn't Treleston know that accusations of lying were tantamount to challenging the accused to a duel? So be it, filth, Angui snarled. A duel it shall be. And that, as the challenged party, Angui would have. Choice of weapons, his Majesty rapped out. His face was thunderous with rage at me, but his gaze was on Angui. A slow, evil smile spread across her face. Kitchens, she said. Kitchens? I heard my own bewildered voice. What shall we do? Slice each other into bits and cook one another? Angui's mouth curled. Of course not. You called lie on my word and insulted my art. Should you outdo me, you shall live. Should you not, you shall die, in the manner of my choosing. Do you know that I sometimes talk shop with the chief jailer? We use many of the same techniques. He only gets to use them when his Majesty is especially displeased. We have taught each other much. What shall we prepare for your pleasure, your Majesty? His Majesty hesitated. Then he too smiled. Masterchef Chef I believe I have always wanted to try phoenix. "'As your Majesty desires,' she purred. But now angry, stormed up to me, eyes blazing. "'What is this sick joke?' Her eyes shifted from me to the plucked bird in the cage between us. "'That's not a phoenix,' she growled. "'What are you cooking here?' "'I beg your pardon,' I said. "'It most certainly is a phoenix, "'and you haven't shared your proposed menu either.' "'You wouldn't comprehend my art, you—' "'Excuse me, madam,' snapped Tywin. "'We both welled on him. "'He spoke in the crisp tones of an officer. "'Do you mean to give me the lie? "'This bird is a phoenix, shot a day ago by me.' "'Angry fumed. "'Keep your tricks to yourself, then.' "'She stalked off, screaming at an underling. "'I shuddered. "'Now what's got her frightened?' asked Tywin. "'Her?' I said in disbelief. "'Frightened?' "'Scared as a soldier before battle. "'One who's finding out the enemy isn't going to run away. "'I've seen it.' "'The clock sounded. fifteen minutes. "'Our escort appeared. "'My life now depended on me, and Tywin, and the Phoenix. "'Archmage Trilester had introduced me to Tywin. "'I clutched her summons in one hand and the Imperial Order in the other.' "'Why did you have me challenge her?' I shrieked. "'It was the only way out,' she said. "'If the Emperor had charged you with laissez Majesty, "'you would be dead by now. "'Now you have a chance to live.' "'By learning to cook, Phoenix?' "'She shrugged. "'I didn't say it was a good chance.' "'She rapped at the door. "'I stared at the Imperial Order. "'His Imperial Majesty requests and requires your attendance "'upon the day after tomorrow.' at half-past six of the clock. You shall prepare for His Majesty and two guests a simple three-course meal, consisting of an entree, a main course, and a dessert, equalling or surpassing His Majesty's accustomed manner of dining. All courses shall prominently feature the flesh of the phoenix. The nature of the courses shall be registered with His Majesty's major domo by noon, at which time you will be granted the use of the imperial kitchens. Cooking of the meal will be done in His Majesty's private audience chamber, with what ingredients you please, within a space of two hours. You will be granted the assistance of one sous-chef. Stoves shall be provided according to your needs. Fail not in this charge at your peril. Peril. That word was so horrible. My brain skipped right over it and fixated on the next most terrible word. Dessert? Dessert? I howled. How can I serve a Phoenix dessert? How can you serve Phoenix at all? asked Trellester. If anyone will know, he lives here. Chief Huntsman Tywin opened the door. He was bald, about fifty, and he nodded to Trelecester. You here for breakfast? he asked. For two, please, she said, and we entered the lodge. Amazingly, it smelled like the best breakfast of my childhood. My stomach growled. She passed the order to Tywin. What do you make of this? He read it, then spat. I can make a pile of smoking ash, burn it, bake the ashes in a pie, say it's Phoenix. No one will know the difference. I'll know, I gulped. Trilester sighed. She is most skilled. It would be quite vexing if I had to train another apprentice, just because this one is no cook, said Trilester. Please see what you can do. Tywin stared at me. You ever cooked anything? he asked doubtfully, crossing to where potatoes and herbs crisped on a black stove. I blushed. Sort of. How's that? My family ran a fish-fry stall by the seaport. He started. You mean one of those dockside shacks that sells fried everything? To everybody, I said. Sailors are starving because they've worked so hard "'and passengers are starving because they're not throwing up "'for the first time in a week.' "'Thyman smeared something on two plucked birds "'and plunged them in a pot of bubbling oil. "'I blinked at them. "'That's... that's how we always did fringe-fries. "'What? "'Those crispy potato peels? "'Did people actually like buy those?' Oh, "'You'd be amazed,' I replied. "'Suddenly my mouth was watering. "'These smell wonderful.' Are you a real cook? <laughs> no. Just a soldier and a huntsman who has to cook what he eats. My heart sank. But how do you get it to smell that way? Ah, that's the eleven herbs and spices. Don't even fry stalls have a spice jar? Vial. Well, everyone says that, but they eat there anyway. No, I mean we bought the spices in a vial. Pre-made. Pfft! <laughs> I can do that too. Can't hunt for wild sage or basil, onion, garlic and marjoram every day. He took the basket out of the oil and drained it. Oh, but sakes, girl, Royal cheffery isn't any different. Your fry still knew what the people want. Angry knows what the highborn want. Avant-garde, they call it. Stuff you can barely stomach. Here, eat. He handed me the pheasant, and I bit into it. The rich, dark flavour filled my mouth. Sage and onion danced along my tongue, with an undercurrent of honey and something stronger. Trelesta bit into hers as well, and sighed. "'But the principal problem, Tywin, is—' He sighed. "'You want me to shoot a phoenix.' "'You owe me a try, Tywin. "'I do have a potion that induces sleep the instant it strikes the blood. "'Can you smear it on your arrows?' "'Sure,' said Tywin. "'Will it let a bird survive being skewered through the breastbone?' "'No,' Tywin snorted. "'I've a stone bow for pigeons and such. "'Fire smooth bullets. "'Could you enchant one of them with a sleep spell or something?' "'Hardly,' Trilester said. "'Hanail?' "'Spells can only be held by living things,' I explained, "'one of the basics of sorcery. "'You can't pass it on through dead wood or stone.' Then a thought struck me. These stone bullets, could you put points on them? Tywin shook his head. They wobble all over the sky. No hunter in the world could do that. My heart was pounding in my chest. And if you could? I picked up the stone bow. You just said you couldn't enchant anything not alive. No, I just can't transmit a spell through anything not alive, I said. I enchanted the stone bow. "'and passed it to him. "'What did you do to it?' "'Tyrin growled. "'Stole an imperial military secret, "'is what I didn't say. "'But Trelester nodded. "'I handed him a bullet, "'he placed it in the groove, "'and it began spinning like a top. "'Eyes wide, he carried the bow outside. "'He test-fired it. "'Twice. "'And then he looked at me. "'That triples the aimed range.' You're giving this to me? I smiled. I think not. It's your salary, for being my hunter, and my sous-chef. You know, stones kill. Wounding your bird is still a slim chance. It's a chance we shall have to take. Watching the calcined remains of the chance we had taken, I imagined how I'd write the recipe down. Phoenix Flambe. Ingredients. One medium-sized phoenix. One skewer. Arrow, javelin, etc. One vocabulary. Brackets. Filthy. Close brackets. Preparation. Place phoenix on fireproof surface. Skewer phoenix. Allow phoenix to cool in resulting 3,100 degree flame for about 10 seconds, as if you had a choice. Employ vocabulary. Scrape ashes into a pile. Then out of the blue. An idea struck. Let's stand one minute, then make scrambled eggs phoenix. A gentle wind struck too, and I turned to Tywin, panicking. Your cloak! I yelled. He gave me a quizzical look. Your cloak! Hurry! He cast aside the bow, and my hands flew to the clasp of his cloak, which I immediately flung over the ash. Hunted much phoenix? I asked. He shrugged. Nah, my brother shot one just to see him flame. Dar whipped him, for cruelty. Well, you could burn down a whole damn forest that way. Fortunately, it was fall and rainy then, too. If this were high summer, I'd have told you and the old witch to bugger yourselves. I felt the cloak, and was rewarded with a faint thrill of triumph. Then you probably haven't had to study their biology. I raised the cloak. The faintly golden egg shone up at me. And a few more of these might just save my life. Scrambled Eggs Phoenix Ingredients One or more medium-sized Phoenix eggs, salt and pepper to taste. Preparation Heat oil in a frying pan. Break Phoenix eggs into pan. Scramble eggs until cooked. Hope Serve No, you may not serve scrambled Phoenix eggs to his majesty, said Major Domo, Selsden and His fussy little moustache twitched as if something smelled bad. Actually, that was probably me. Burnt feathers stank, and I hadn't had time to wash. But, sir, I bowed, the eggs are phoenix eggs. Logically, they must be the same as phoenix meat. The order states that the phoenix must be in all the dishes. They do not say in what form. Sorceress, Grimmel said, looking down at his nose. As any scullery maid in the lower kitchens could tell you, eggs are dairy products, while phoenix is... He looked me up and down. Foul Grimel continued. Do you have any other ingredients for this dish? Or were you just going to scramble a mess of eggs on something hot and hope? Master Chef Angry is preparing slow-roasted phoenix for his majesty. I think she would suggest you taste test some other options. Aconite, perhaps. Aconite is a poison, I blurted. Precisely, but faster than what the Master Chef intends for you, he grinned. I fled, his laughter echoing behind me. Now we entered the Emperor's lavishly appointed private audience room, but I found that I could look at nothing but the ovens and stoves that had been provided and the judging table. On the left sat the Prime Minister, a court favourite. On the right, sat a slightly bald man I didn't know, with a fussy mouth and trim beard. His Majesty sat in the centre. He favoured me with the blank, closed look, and then broke into a beaming smile. Angui had just entered behind me. I slumped. I was doomed. All and I could do was the nothing. If I made a brave enough show of it, the Emperor might only banish me, or make Angui kill me quickly. I'd never have a chance. And there was an audience. One row of seats for the Royal Court. There was Chief Diviner Ghislaine. It probably killed him. He wasn't a judge. Tywin's boss, the Imperial Forester, and Archmage Trelester, looking resigned but alert. I suppose I was glad she was there. I had enjoyed working with her. I'd enjoyed the whole job. Well, except the vomiting, obviously. Major Domo Grimel rose. My lords and ladies, your imperial majesty, he bowed. This was it. Today, for our entertainment and culinary edification, a contest between the imperial master chef, Dame Angui Sabachka, and her most vocal critic, third assistant sorceress, Haneel Letzterhoff. There was a smattering of applause and muted laughter. Grimmel continued. Assisting his majesty in adjudging judging today's contest... "'the Lord Prime Minister, Wilfrid Moscombe, "'and His Majesty's most admired guest, "'Sir Graham Usprach Bastiche, "'whose grillé d'infarné "'has such a following here in the capital.' "'I swayed. "'The Bastiche? "'The cooking legend?' "'I glanced at Angry, who frowned. "'Was it possible that she had not expected "'to find herself measured on such exacting scales?' "'Then I shook myself. "'If she was worried, I ought to be petrified. Except I already was. And there was no time for more thought. Grimmel was already speaking. Ladies, you may begin. I reached forward, but Tywin restrained me. Hasty cooks ruin meals. You've got two hours. Slow down, one thing at a time. I nodded. Methodically, I placed the three eggs in the basket. Grimmel spoke again. To whet our distinguished judges' appetites... Master Chef Angui has elected to begin with a coarse entree of chilled Phoenix pâté de foie gras with truffles and armagnac, cold salad and baguette grilled. Gods be good! I had an appetiser with a cooking time of two minutes and the bitch was still out the gate in front of me. Cold entree! Her sous-chef was serving the Emperor who was licking his lips and with an amused curl of his lip looking at me. The candlelight in Trelesta's library could not keep out the chill of the full night, nor was it bright enough to ease the ache in my eyes. It was all in front of me. Everything about the phoenix in Trelesta's library, and therefore everything in the imperial library, and therefore, quite probably, everything that was known in the entire world. In this one book by Alfredus Maximus, an obscure somatobiologist. Why phoenix? Why couldn't it have been, say, manticore? Sure, its sting or flesh would kill a man in three heartbeats, but the poison was child's play to neutralise if you just had a mandrake root and three colours of cloth. The tiny entry mocked me with its archaic diction. I imagined what I would say to Alfredus if I'd had him in front of me. "'Little is known of the life and powers of the phoenix. "'You don't say. "'The bird is greatly magical. "'What was your first clue?' "'and nigh impossible to capture while living, "'because unless handled with great care, "'the phoenix tendeth to die. <laughs> news just gets better and better. "'And upon death, "'to incandesce in a torrent of flame, "'such that the whole bird be reduced to ash. "'Upon mine own capture of this most rare bird <laughs> "'it'll kill you to mention how, wouldn't it, "'you poxy-dead bastard, "'I plucked a single feather. "'This proved unwise.' "'as the bird died at once, sending up a great conflagration "'which burnt many valuable materials. "'Ha! Serves you right. "'Examination showed that the feather was indeed "'a greater part of finest metal, which alchemy revealed to be magnesium. "'In the four or five moments elapsed before the carcass spontaneously combusted, "'fearful heat emanated from the bird, "'the which, I believe, was the cause of the ignition.' As the bones and viscera were distinguishable upon very close examination, I deduced that the great heat doth originate in the bird his skin. My examination seemeth to have hindered, but not prevented, the formation of the phoenix egg, which took a fortnight to hatch, so much for sitting on the thing tonight and tomorrow, and did produce a bird like unto the first. It cannot be said of a certainty whether this be the same bird or an offspring, Yet if it be the same, then immortality is among us. But even if it not be the same, then surely the phoenix, his defence, is as nigh perfect as may be. For what hunter would dare another such deadly morsel, if once it survived the unwisdom of attempting such prey? How could angry, slow roast a phoenix? According to Maximus, even plucking the bird would kill it. And magnesium burned hot enough to melt lead. Was it really possible that the bird's skin got hot enough to ignite the feathers? The saucer is new metals, and that would be nearly twice as hot as the hottest oven I'd ever heard of. There was only one answer. I would have to discover what Angry had in her kitchen, because even if I had a plucked phoenix in front of me right now, all I knew to do with it was heat it and hope. So, you think I should look into other options, bitch? How about yours?' Angry had taught me not to make an enemy of a chef. It was time to teach her not to make an enemy of a sorceress. The secrets of high gastronomy were her weapons. To steal them, I would rely on the lowest magics known to every student mage who had ever haunted an end-dimensional library. Her notes would be in the kitchen, and while I didn't dare try breaking into the imperial kitchen, I could always goggle it. I fished out my glass goggles and wound up the clockwork at the side. I hoped there was enough power in their surge engine. When it started humming, I began my chant. Slowly, the great kitchen swam into view. Guiding the goggles, I peered through the walls and into her office, where there stood three shelves of books. I browsed the titles. The Art of Fringe Cooking for Masters. The Viceroy of Cooking. The Brutal Gourmet. Now... Phoenix, I sang, and the library went dark not a glimmer of arcane light showed. As I feared, no one knew how to prepare Phoenix. There was no recipe here. Like many Master Mages, Chef Angui kept her most cherished secrets in her mind alone. Nevertheless, if I did come up with a way to capture Phoenix, I would need actual recipes. A Phoenix was about the size of a large duck or goose. Duck or goose entree! I sang, and half the tomes on the shelves lit. I peered within. Bacon-stuffed goose drumsticks. My goggles memorised the recipe. Pâté de foie gras. Goggles. Branded duck tongue. Goggles. Baloo, whatever the hell that was. Game birds lit up almost every tome on the shelves. I goggled a dozen. Then the most vital incanter: Goose, or duck and dessert single small volume lit in three places. Two featured foie gras, cream and sugar. And one said chocolate tongue profiteroles. Goggled. Now I had the recipes, but no clues about Phoenix. Could the kitchen tell me anything? Slow roaster, I intoned, winding the surge engine tighter. A largest box lit, I examined it. Perhaps it was special, but... As far as I could tell it was an iron box with a rotisserie and a handle to turn it. Would she use it for Phoenix? Likely. Especially useful Phoenix? I wouldn't know. Angry had mastered a sorcery I couldn't hope to learn in a night. I was done. Back in my chambers, though, I had to face facts. What did I have? One Phoenix egg and a collection of recipes. I couldn't think like a chef so I thought like a research student. Start basic. I scribed the recipes from my goggles into a book. Then, eggs, I said. Three titles appeared. Creme brulee de foie gras au chocolat, chocolate tongue profiteroles, baloo. I looked out the windows where stars burned. Start with the weirdest one. You'll only get more weary as the night drags on. I brushed the last entry with a finger and read Salvation from the pages. Balu, This island entree is for only the most discerning gourmand, as the hoi polloi are uniformly incapable of developing a palate necessary to appreciate the interplay of flavours resulting from a proper preparation of this dish. Harvesting the eggs presents difficulty, as one must precisely gauge the development of the egg required. Of course, any common avis domestica can be used, but the truly distinguished palate can accept no substitute for the wild, partridge or pheasant. Once, chefs selected eggs approximately seven-tenths of the way through their incubation period, but today's gourmet chefs prefer chicks matured for at least four-fifths of their incubation, cultivating tender but defined bones. The higher-quality dining experience results from the unique crunch thus obtained. Traditional baloo is marinated in the style of... Phoenix eggs would be good for one of the dishes. "'Maybe. "'It was a meat dish. "'And an egg dish. "'It was definitely a whole cuisine. "'If only I had the eleven days to incubate it. "'If only I had more time!' "'I cursed myself. "'I should have cast a time-extension spell on myself "'while I had the chance. I could have made this night last twice as long for myself. "'Of course I'd have needed a willing substitute. "'The law of conservation of time "'meant that for me to double my subjective time... I'd have needed someone else to halve theirs. But, gods above, I could have bribed any of the guards or maids to do that, and all it would have cost them would have been feeling a little tired the next day. When I had studied at the college, we had time-shared with each other, so that everyone got two nights to cram the day before they faced the examiners. Perhaps if I waked Trilester, she'd be my time-sink for the night. Or not. Still, I had little choice. I couldn't extend time for myself for the eleven days it would take the egg to mature for Baloo, stopped. Oh, as simple as that was it. I snatched the pair of scales from my desk weighing the egg. Two ounces multiplied by 11 days. For the egg to age 264 hours in one hour, the law of conservation of time stated that I would have to experience only one hour in 264. I would appear to be in a coma for 11 days but now I got to factor in the law of conservation of mass. The egg weighed less than a thousandth of what I did. In the hour of the spell's duration, I would experience a mere fifteen minutes. Trembling, I scribed the runes across the egg and up the side of my arm, and then spoke the words of power. The candle flame shifted towards a greenish-yellow. I saw the moon begin crawling across the sky with visible speed. When the light returned to normal, I picked up the egg, The ink had faded considerably. Stealing myself a failure, I cracked it. I should have been stealing my stomach. The grey, twitching flesh inside writhed like a worm. Then the egg began to grow hot in my hand. I barely spilled it in the crucible in time to avoid severe burns. But it had no feathers. It didn't burn with the dirty white heat of the adult phoenix. Instead, the flesh sizzled with the aroma of cooking meat and burning egg. "'Shit!' I would have to burn it hotter or I'd lose this egg. Swiftly, I pried open my own jar of magnesium dust and sprinkled a pinch. The crucible went up in an inferno. At the end of it, I had a pile of fine white ash coalescing to form another egg. So, I could do Baloo. I wouldn't even need a stove. The marinade would have to be chilled to keep the heat of the dish from actually burning it. But the Emperor always had ice. I still needed an adult bird, though. I couldn't have that and the egg and I couldn't project the whole phoenix forward in time anyway. At the rate I had to wait it, it would starve to death seconds after hatching. And I needed more eggs, obviously, which meant I still needed Tywin. But now I was thinking like a sorceress. It was dawn, and I'd had an hour's sleep plus two cups of the strongest coffee I could stand when I swept into Tywin's lodge. He raised his eyebrows at my bulging pack. "'Come on, Tywin, we've got a lot to do this morning!' He bent over the weapons he had laid out on the table. I'm sorry, lass, but it's over. I won't risk forest fires for nothing. But today we can bring down live phoenix! He gave me a stare. Even Trelesta couldn't do that. No, but I have motivation she doesn't. You had the same motivation yesterday. What's changed? I'm thinking like a good sorceress instead of a lousy cook. I held up the fertilised chicken egg, filched in the royal coop's, now reticulated with the calligraphy of a sleep spell. Eggs are alive. You get me a half dozen more phoenix eggs, and you shoot this at a live phoenix. And now angry was already putting her phoenix into the famous slow roaster. I could see her bird from here, and it looked identical to mine, except for a different and thick dry rub smeared over the skin in an intricate pattern. It was then that I realised her slow roaster was heating, she wasn't using the bird to cook itself. Somehow she had neutralised the skin of the phoenix. How? Now Tywin gently turned my head away from Angry's confident preparation. He was right, of course. Focus on the task. I set the eggs firmly in the basket and sliced open the tops. Immediately the whites began to bubble. I plunged them into the chilled olive oil and then began a slow count of thirty. By the end of it, The fragrance of browning bird had filled the air. I then immersed it into the second pot, the one full of the vinegar marinade. It was done. I removed them and placed the basket on the cloth. Now the moment of truth. Yes! The phoenix chicks had stopped cooking! Once the skin was cooked through, it couldn't generate heat any longer, regardless of whether it succeeded in reducing the bird to ash. I nearly wept with relief. But there was no time. Quickly, I put the eggs in their cups, while becoming aware of a deep, surprisingly strong voice. A "'Rich flavour, and complemented superbly by the truffles and liqueur. The slow cooking locks in the fatty flavour without making it cloying. Excellent presentation as well.' I looked up, wincing. Angus's plates looked like little works of art. Reaching for some of the green salad that Tywin and I had prepared earlier, I arranged dandelion leaves in little sunbursts around the egg cups, trying not to look at his Majesty. Fury was written on his face. He was expecting scrambled eggs-phoenix. I knew it. Balancing carefully, I walked past Grimel. His Majesty was rising and inhaling to have me seized and taken away when Grimmel said, Mistress Letzterhoff's entree is Phoenix, Baloo, in the style adobo. His Majesty froze. Then another voice broke in. This is Baloo? "'Phoenix Ballou.' "'Yes, Sir Bastiche,' I managed. "'Have you ever made Ballou before?' "'No, sir.' He raised a sceptical eyebrow. "'Rather a challenge for the first time out,' he said. "'I hope I don't regret your choice in the morning.' He flipped open the top, scooping out the sad grey morsel of bird flesh. "'Perfectly aged,' he said. "'I can feel the bones on the tines of my fork. "'The white hasn't quite gelled.' he chewed, and I could hear the bones popping beneath his teeth. Incredible flavour, he announced, and the yolk has just the right solidity. Talent or luck, Miss Letsterhoff, is yours. The Emperor sagged in his chair, dumbfounded. Mechanically he began to eat, and a thoughtful expression crossed his face. I beat a retreat to my stove. I'd done it. The worst, however, was yet to come. By afternoon we had only four Phoenix eggs. Tywin looked at me and said in a dry voice, I'd better have that egg now. Wordlessly I passed the enchanted egg over. I had gambled. Yesterday we had seen three phoenix in four hours and hit one. Today we'd seen six and brought down four. Now we had one hour of light left. The sky was clear of birds. Fatigue in the afternoon sun sent me into a fitful doze. Then Tywin rose from the reeds. Almost too high to see, a reddish-yellow fleck dived. Tywin raised the bow. Fired. The egg rose, spinning out of sight. The phoenix continued its dive. Lower. It splashed into the pond, scattering ducks. I didn't remember diving into the pond. All I remembered was Tywin pulling me out, pulling me to shore and shouting, It's all right, lass, you've got it! And my hands locked around the neck of the sodden, sleeping phoenix. Flash-glazed phoenix under glass. Ingredients One ensorcelled phoenix, plucked. One gill old genius dark beer, recommended by an experienced drinker of same. One half gill orange juice. One teaspoon orange zest. Eleven very specific herbs and spices mixed by annoyingly closed-mouthed drinker. One half gill single-barrel bourbon from His Imperial Majesty's Stores. One-eighth gill same bourbon, one gill lilac honey, two gallons of lard, solid. One pair heavy leather gloves. Preparation. Mince garlic, mix marinade, beer, juice, zest, garlic and pepper together. Divide in two and chill until nearly frozen. Divide lard into two, place half in deep pot. Pour one-eighth gill of bourbon into chef for confidence. The phoenix slept in my hands, as it had throughout the plucking. Feeling no pain, it had felt no need to die. Good, said Tywin, who had the pot and lard laid out. Now remember, just like we practised it. From dawn until noon, he had drilled me in the killing strokes. I had no doubt this man had been a soldier. I held it as firmly as I could. Tywin skewered the bird through his dagger. I picked up the knife and sliced from the tail to the breast. The crowd groaned softly as the blood spattered across Tywin, but he reached quickly in and wrenched out the offal. I turned away, already feeling the bird heat. I placed it in a roasting pan to sear. Then I slapped the amorphous mass of near-frozen marinade onto the sides of the bird. They began to melt instantly, sending up fragrances of orange, beer, bourbon and honey. Half the marinade gone now, gloves heating up. I flipped the bird, slipping the remaining lumps under the skin of the breast. It sizzled loudly now, fat, spattering. Lifting the phoenix in both hands and gritting my teeth against the pane, I dropped it in the fryer and flinched from the roaring geyser of melting fat. Covering it with the rest of the lard, it erupted in a storm of noise and an oo from the audience. Now, dessert. Tywin was already trimming the liver. So another correct guess, and I blessed old Alfredus for showing that the organs didn't catch fire on their own phoenix liver creme brulee ingredients eight ounces heavy cream three ounces chopped bittersweet chocolate to taste fresh ground black pepper eight ounces phoenix liver three hen eggs one egg yolk one half gill fine cane sugar preparation melt chocolate over water bath heat heavy cream and sugar in saucepan until it begins to simmer pat phoenix livers dry and add to heated cream Remove from heat and steep for 4-5 to five minutes. Strain the liver out of the cream and puree with part of cream. Stir together, blended cream and remaining cream. Pass liver cream mixture through chinois, mix in the eggs and yolk. Don't heat too much. Add melted chocolate. Pour into dish, bake in a water bath in oven until just set. Sprinkle sugar and torch until sugar melts. Timing shouted, Get that bird out! Carefully, I pulled the phoenix from the hot fat. It was still hot, but no longer burning. I drained it and then set it aside to rest. Turned back to Tywin, but now we had time, and he knew it. Now, what's she so fixated on? he asked. I followed his gaze to where Trelesta was sitting. And staring. Staring at Angui, who was brush-basting her slowly roasting bird with intricate strokes that were somehow familiar, almost as if she were... I locked eyes with Trelesta. She nodded. Angry was enchanting the bird. Well, I'd been thinking like a chef. She'd been thinking like a sorceress. But what spell? Then I recognised it. It was a gustatory magnification spell. The common flavour enhancer. We'd use cheap versions all the time to make up for our ingredients. Master chefs held a GMS in nothing but disdain. Should I call her on it, though? the Emperor, even Chef Bastiche, had noticed nothing. It would be my word against theirs. Or Trelester's and mine, and the Emperor would never believe both of us over his favourite. But she was cheating. Timing carved and covered the bird, and this was good, because I was shaking too badly to hold a knife. I carried the glass-domed plates to the table. Mistress Lesterhoff presents Flash-glazed Fried Phoenix Under Glass This time the Emperor watched the Bastiche before making a move. Mediocre presentation, he began. Let's hope it tastes better than it looks. No sauce, even. He took a bite. Chewed. Paused. Put down his fork. To be frank, I was dubious about this dish. But it is elegant in concept. The sear is perfect and the marinade, bold and exciting. That's another mark in the talent column, Mistress Letzterhoff. Shaking, I withdrew. Now it was Angry's turn to glare at me. But what could she do? She couldn't hurry slow roasting by definition. For me, only the dessert mattered, and we couldn't serve that before Angry's main course. When it was presented, the Bastige spoke. Would he taste the spell? Superior presentation. Brilliant sauce. But... "'Slow roasting is one of the most pedestrian ways to serve a bird, "'flawlessly done though it is. "'Your competition has been bolder than you, chef.' "'The crowd ooed. "'But I felt sick. "'If the Bastille hadn't tasted the spell, "'what hope did we have?' "'The Emperor was devouring Angus Phoenix "'with every sign of enjoyment. "'Last chance. "'The creme brulee came out of the oven "'and I sprinkled the sugar, just as Grimen announced. "'For dessert!' Chef Angui has prepared chocolate phoenix tongue profiteroles. Oh, thank the gods I have not stolen that recipe. I summoned fire from my fingertips and played it across the sprinkled sugar. Foul! Angui strode over and planted herself across the counter from me. Foul! This is a contest of cuisine, not of sorcery. It's unfair! I almost lost my head, but managed to keep my hiss quiet. If that's so, why are you using GMS? "'Angry whitened. "'You can't prove that,' she whispered. "'Want to ask my boss, the Archmage?" "'Well,' roared the Emperor, rising, "'is there foul play or not?' "'Sire,' said Sebastiche, "'I believe your chef is protesting that magic should not be used. "'But, if I may, broiling a creme should be child's play "'for anyone cooking at this level, "'and it's hardly a serious violation. "'I, for one, am intrigued by Mistress Lesterhoff's dessert.' Trembling, I plated it. Phoenix liver, chocolate creme brûlée, announced Sir Sebastiche broke the crust. Perfect thickness. Rich, without being overpowering. Your Majesty, you have a very talented young chef here. Were she not already a sorceress, I should offer her an apprenticeship myself. How did you manage to cook Phoenix, which until now I have never encountered? The Emperor interrupted. Sebastiche, are you... I mean... Do you mean to say that you intend to find favour in this, of uh, the challenger, sire? Master Chef Angui is a brilliant professional. Of this there can be no doubt whatsoever, and technically her performance might be superior. But I myself prefer a fresh approach, an exciting approach, and Mistress Letstoff has given us that. So yes, my vote is for her. I swayed, and Tyrion steadied me. Could it be? And you, Prime Minister? The Emperor demanded, "Oh Sire, I must vote for Master Chef Angui, who could doubt the Royal Palate? The Emperor looked from angry to me, then at Grand Bastiche, who stood there utterly unconcerned, supremely confident in his judgment. The Emperor opened his mouth, No screamed Angui in rage, I will not be beaten by a scheming, cheating, bitch of a sorceress, she used sorcery." and that dried-up old archmage helped her. Your Majesty, I have gone too far at last, thundered Trelesta, rising. I was willing to let my apprentice stand or fall by her own merits and mouth, she intoned, but I will not see her slandered by a hypocrite. Your Majesty, she pointed, Chef Angui has used GMS upon her main course. There was a gasp from the crowd, and a silence. The Emperor's jaw worked. And then Trelester continued, But that is not the worst of it, is it, chef? Anguille's eyes went wide. No! You can't have! How did you Trelester sang a high, clear, single note of disenchantment. I could feel the spells in the room break. Taste the felix again, Sebastiche. Curiously he did so, chewing thoughtfully. Then his jaw froze, and he spat the bite out onto his plate. He fixed angry with a stare. This, he said, never did taste quite like Mistress Letzterhoff's Phoenix. I wondered, but now the taste is unmistakable. Despite popular law, Chef, everything, let alone Phoenix, does not taste like chicken. What? cried his Majesty, and angry collapsed to the floor. After Angry had been dragged away screaming by the Imperial Guards, I found myself ushered, politely, to a much more private sitting-room, and holding a glass of his Imperial Majesty's single-barrel bourbon. You have quite a future in the gastronomical arts, you know, Mistress Lesterhoff, the Bastiche was saying. I didn't answer. I was still getting used to having a future at all. The offer of an apprenticeship is sincere, by the way, should you want one. "'And I'd very much like to buy your secret of hunting phoenix, "'not to mention your recipes. "'Shall we say fifty thousand royals, in round numbers?' "'I nearly spit out my bourbon.' "'Come, child, it has to be worth that much,' said Trellaster, "'even if angry had to cheat to comply with his Majesty's orders. "'No wonder she panicked when she saw you actually cooking phoenix.' "'And you'll have a position in the imperial kitchens when you return,' "'said his Majesty. "'I looked down.' "'Is that an imperial order, sire?' I asked. Oh, "'So much for returning to my beloved sorcery.' "'Naturally!' he boomed. "'No, sire,' the Bastille said. "'I advise against. "'Talent is a great gift, "'but if the desire of the heart is not there, "'she will never develop it to the fullest.' "'His Majesty hesitated. "'But he had, perhaps, been enough of a fool to-night. "'Oh, very well,' he said. I nodded gratefully to the Bastiche, who winked. He understood, and would get all of Anguist's stolen recipes for no extra charge.
0: What an imaginative solution to a seemingly impossible problem. How to cook a creature who spontaneously combusts at the merest lofts of a feather. Leave it to a sorceress apprentice to solve a problem that a master chef could not. I think the lesson here is that GMS, like MSG, can be hazardous to your health. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes, Acast, or any other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing, and consider making a donation on the District of Wonders Patreon page so that we can keep the podcast up and running. Please remember that Far-Fetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but don't change it or sell it, and be sure to give credit where credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors. Violators will be sent on to the kitchens to deplume a phoenix. It's been my pleasure to host this week's show. Seth will be returning next week as we continue to bring you the best in fantasy fiction while Nicola is away. Until next time, bye now.
1: This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry. And some, well, less awesome. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods